Hi, I'm Bill Wiley. I'm Stephen Dell. And I'm Rob Weinstock. And we're the co-chief medical editors of Cataract and Refractive Surgery Today. Summer's coming to an end, and all our vacations and responsibly distanced barbecues are fading into the background of fall preparations. Now is a great time to dial back into professional growth and development, and this episode can help. I'm Laura Straub, Editor-in-Chief of CRST, and you're listening to our supplementary production, CRST The Podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Ranjit Bajwa, Eva Liang, and Etta Nikpour to talk about a few considerations for building the foundation for a thriving refractive cataract surgery practice. Dr. Bajwa, an optometrist at Anacapa Vision Ophthalmology Center and Empire Eye and Laser Center, both in California, is up first to talk about how offering tertiary dry eye care and optimizing the health of the ocular surface can elevate outcomes as well as the patient experience. The ability to offer refractive correction and reduce spectacle dependence at all distances has changed the discussion of cataract surgery between patients and eye care providers. Having a number of IOLs at our disposal that can correct astigmatism and either extend depth of focus or provide multifocality allows surgeons to offer cataract extraction with minimal to no postoperative refractive error. Further, as we know, receiving these IOLs is life-changing for many patients. Optimizing the ocular surface before and after surgery, however, is essential to delivering the expected visual outcomes. The IOLs used during refractive cataract surgery are nearly always considered cosmetic or voluntary upgrades by third-party insurers, leaving patients to cover a significant portion of the surgical cost. Carefully assessing the eyelids, the eyelashes, and the ocular surface for signs of dry eye disease before surgery can help to identify patients in whom cataract surgery may exacerbate dry eye disease, which can lead to visual symptoms that decrease the perceived success of the surgery. Accurate IOL power calculations are another key component of successful refractive cataract surgery. Dry eye disease can negatively affect these calculations, often leading to a hyperoptic shift after surgery. Studies suggest that dry eye disease is undiagnosed in nearly 70% of patients with the condition, and the incidence is higher among postmenopausal women. Because cataract formation progresses with age, physicians and staff must evaluate refractive cataract surgery candidates for age-related comorbidities. The proactive management of dry eye disease before and after cataract surgery can help to optimize visual outcomes. The use of a dry eye disease survey, such as the Standardized Patient Evaluation of Eye Dryness Questionnaire, or SPEED, the Ocular Surface Disease Index, or OSDI, and Dry Eye Questionnaire 5, or DEQ5, for instance, can assist in determining which patients may require treatment before cataract surgery. Staining with vital dyes such as fluorescein and lysamine green can also help to identify patients who have ocular surface disease. It is important to assess the lid margin for scurf due to blepharitis, vascularization due to inflammatory lid disease, and cylindrical dandruff associated with various demodex species. 
Patients with any of these findings are at an increased risk of complications related to dry eye disease after cataract surgery. Expressing the meibomian glands can help to identify which patients may develop symptoms of evaporative dry eye disease due to meibomian gland dysfunction. The first step in managing patients with newly diagnosed dry eye disease is to initiate the frequent installation of non-preserved artificial tears and therapy with cyclosporin ophthalmic emulsion, such as Restasis or Sequa, or Lefitograss ophthalmic solution, also known as Zydra. A recently reported study found treatment with immunomodulators such as these led to a positive change in the higher order aberrations in repeat biometry measurements in cataract surgery candidates. When ocular surface inflammation is severe, a short course of ophthalmic topical corticosteroids can be prescribed. If vascularization of the eyelid margin is pronounced, a perioperative course of doxycycline may be beneficial. For patients with reduced tear meniscus, temporary punctal occlusion with dissolvable punctal plugs placed bilaterally in the lower puncta may improve dry eye disease signs and symptoms before and after cataract surgery. Severe evaporative dry eye disease due to meibomian gland dysfunction may require in-office treatment to heat and express the obstructed meibomian glands. Options include devices such as the Lipoflow Thermal Pulsation System from Johnson & Johnson Vision, the Tear Care System from Site Sciences, and Sustain's iLux MGD Thermal Pulsation System from Alcon. Depending on the timeline for surgery, intense pulsed light treatment may be an option. It can provide a long-term improvement to lid inflammation and meibomian gland disease thereby helping to optimize meibomian gland function after refractive cataract surgery. To build a refractive cataract surgery practice that truly thrives in today's healthcare landscape, it is essential to adopt tertiary dry eye care. Assessing the health of the ocular surface to diagnose and treat dry eye disease before surgery can help elevate post-operative outcomes, result in more happy patients and, one hopes, increase word-of-mouth referrals. Thanks, Dr. Bajwa. Now, let's explore a couple of practice models that have worked for surgeons in the refractive cataract surgery setting. Dr. Liang, founder of Center for Sight in Las Vegas, shares her experience offering refractive cataract surgery within a large, value-based capitation model. The year 1999 is not just the title of a song and an album by Prince, but also when I started my career as an ophthalmologist. One day, my boss, Tyree Carr, said to me, I will never let one payer dominate my practice ever again. His practice had blown up a few years earlier. He had been involved with a large capitated contract when the payer decided to open its own internal ophthalmology department. Kaboom. Dr. Carr ultimately rebuilt his practice successfully, but he focused on fee-for-service for the rest of his career. Many of my colleagues probably feel similarly to Dr. Carr, but I have spent most of my professional career in managed care, both as an employee working for a health plan and externally in a practice that partners with a health plan. I have come to appreciate the multiple collaborative systems that must exist to provide effective and efficient care for this patient population. 
People are living longer and medical expenses show no signs of stabilizing. Medicaid Advantage plans generally offer seniors an affordable, predictable solution to minimize their out-of-pocket healthcare expenses, especially if these patients have a chronic disease or comorbidities. There are excellent MA plans that offer patients a growing list of services such as lifestyle centers, transportation assistance, and vision care that are not available through traditional Medicare. Population health management. This is a more accurate term than capitation to describe large-scale capitation agreements. There's a significant difference between managing a small number of members, which is far more common, and managing much larger contracts, as does Center for Sight in Las Vegas, where I practice. According to the American Hospital Association, population health management refers to the process of improving clinical health outcomes of a defined group of individuals through improved care coordination and patient engagement supported by appropriate financial and care models. These larger contracts must be approached collaboratively in a spirit of partnership with the entity that holds the ultimate risk, such as the health plans and independent practice associations. Capitation versus fee-for-service. Most eye care providers are familiar with fee-for-service. Put simply, in this payment model, the practice bills and collects for services rendered. In capitation, the practice has a contract with a health plan to be the exclusive provider of services in a certain specialty. In this payment arrangement, a set amount is paid for each enrolled member per month. That number may seem insanely low when considered as per person, but not every member presents for care on a monthly or even annual basis. The upside for the health plan is that its expenses for that specialty are fixed. The downside is that there is a narrow network. If patients are happy, capitation is a win-win for patients and health plans. Doctors, meanwhile, are paid in advance regardless of which services are provided on any given day or month. The practice must ensure that all members have access to care. Proactive management can help this population achieve better outcomes and meet healthcare effectiveness data and information set measures, otherwise known as HEDIS measures. Center for Sight, which was established in 2013, had the opportunity to compete for one of the larger contracts in Las Vegas that covers a mix of commercial and Medicare Advantage members. In early 2020, my practice added a large Medicaid population. In essence, I headed down the path that Dr. Carr had lamented years earlier. I started a private practice and opened its doors thanks to one payer. Center for Sight, however, has grown from there. Earlier in my career, I had served as an employee and later as a section head of the eye department at Cigna in Arizona. I therefore felt I had enough experience on both sides of healthcare to do things differently than other ophthalmologists. Traditionally, physicians who service capitation provide the lowest level of care possible, and they make a living by stretching access and limiting care. It could be said that they focus on the basics and the bare minimum. Initial interest in these types of contracts tends to be defensive in nature. Perhaps these providers pursue such contracts because they're sought after by their competitors in the marketplace. In general, these physicians have little to no experience managing these types of health plan contracts. With larger scale populations, the stress and pressure placed on an established practice can completely destabilize it and even threaten its existence. At Center for Sight, we built our operational processes and systems to accommodate the daily demand on the practice's resources, and we made patient satisfaction our guiding principle. For this reason, we educate patients about options that are not offered to them at less progressive practices. 
We want all of our patients to receive the same level of care rather than to stratify patients based on the payer. By providing coordinated care to this population of 250,000 members, Center for Sight has developed an excellent reputation with both patients and the health plan providers. Our fee-for-service patient population grew quickly as well. Center for Sight started with three physicians and a loose affiliation with three other community providers. By the end of 2021, Center for Sight has developed into a multidisciplinary practice with 13 doctors, including ODs and MDs. Cataract surgery and refractive cataract surgery are our largest service. We focus on education and provide options that meet each individual's needs. Many patients choose to pay out of pocket for advanced technology such as premium intraocular lenses, laser cataract surgery, and intraoperative aberrometry. The plan's representatives are happy that their members are being offered all of the options that other patients are being offered outside of their network. Beyond cataract surgery, we offer several dry eye treatments, refractive surgery, and clinical research, all of which has been embraced by our patient base. During the COVID-19 lockdown, many practices were forced to close and revenues hovered near zero. Center for Sight stayed open and our contracts with the health plans kept our income fairly steady. We did not lay off a single employee and none of our doctors experienced a negative financial impact because of the pandemic. We were all grateful to be capitated providers. Capitated arrangements are often referred to as risk agreements because the doctor or practice accepts the risk of taking care of a certain patient population. Center for Sight codes and bills as a normal fee-for-service practice, but the codes are used as encounter data so that the health plan can assess the care that patients receive. The encounter data are used to value the care and contracts going forward. Center for Sight does not spend months billing and collecting for each patient because the bulk of our reimbursement is derived from the plan on a per-member, per-month basis. Since 2013, the number of patients in Center for Sight's capitated network has grown steadily, and the number of our fee-for-service patients has grown in tandem. Private equity firms have acquired a significant number of eye care practices here in Las Vegas. Whether these firms will try to get involved in practices with capitation involved, only time will tell. And now, Dr. Nick Poor from Aloha Laser Vision in Honolulu, Hawaii, reveals her pointers for practicing in an optometric network referral practice. Working with optometric colleagues allows me to deliver the best possible care to my patients. As primary eye care providers, optometrists know their patients incredibly well and have often been taking care of them for years. Not only can ODs refer patients to us, but they can often help guide patients to the most suitable procedure and technology for their lifestyle. Aligning with and educating optometric colleagues can lead to better outcomes for my patients, and it develops rewarding professional relationships that enrich my career. My earliest exposure to ophthalmology was in college in Oklahoma, where I sensed tension between the optometric and ophthalmologic communities. Like a few other states, Oklahoma is fraught with scope of practice turf battles, and many ophthalmologists have not-so-nice things to say about their OD colleagues. Fortunately, during my training at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute in Miami, I worked alongside optometry residents who were outstanding doctors and graduated at the top of their class. At Bascom Palmer, I saw optometrists who were highly specialized in contact lenses, glaucoma, and refractive surgery working alongside ophthalmologists in a complementary way. 
During my Global Ophthalmology Fellowship with Jeffrey Tabin, MD, I became acquainted with incredibly efficient eye care delivery systems around the world in which members of the team were used to their highest potential by only performing tasks at their skill level. This facilitated the delivery of care to the largest number of people as efficiently as possible while maintaining high quality and achieving excellent outcomes. I kept the framework of these systems I had observed during my training in mind when I entered the workforce and decided to join a large referral practice in Southern California. I found having a large support network of optometrists to be appealing because it enabled me to care better for more patients than I could alone. My first practice had more than 2,000 optometrists referring patients to a network of surgeons across multiple locations in several states. The robust network of optometrists referred a high volume of surgical patients to this busy cataract and refractive practice, and a large team of administrative staff was required to coordinate care for the patients and communication with the doctors. A team was dedicated to facilitating collaborative care by providing ODs with marketing materials, referral forms, and extensive educational opportunities. I met with my referring ODs two to four times per month at educational events of various sizes. Our frequent interactions allowed me to form meaningful professional relationships. The friendliness of these relationships and the fact that the providers all had my cell phone number meant that they felt free to call me to discuss their patients anytime. They were comfortable contacting me directly if they encountered an issue or if they preferred a different treatment than what had been planned. This open channel of communication led to better patient care and outcomes, which is the fundamental goal of collaborative care. When I moved to Hawaii and joined Aloha Laser Vision in the beginning of 2020, it was largely because of the patient-centric collaborative care system that my senior partner, Alan Faulkner, MD, created. We provide outstanding care to patients in our surgical referral practice, and we work closely with our referring ODs to improve patient experiences and post-operative outcomes. Hawaii is a close-knit community where patients are often loyal to their optometrists for generations, so it's incredibly helpful to receive input from referring ODs when determining the best treatments for our patients. Additional factors contributing to patients' preference for collaborative care are inter-island travel and heavy traffic. This situation is not unique to Hawaii. In many rural locations, patients must travel long distances to receive routine post-operative care, and in urban locations, traffic can make traveling to a surgeon's office challenging. Collaborative care allows patients to see their regular doctor after surgery, which is often more convenient and comfortable for them. Communication. In my experience, the key to ensuring successful collaborative care is effective communication. Systems must be in place that allow referring ODs to send patient records and recommend treatment, and surgeons must communicate with the ODs the expected outcome, treatment regimen, post-operative course, and deviations from the usual regimen. Patients must be comfortable with the collaborative arrangement, and their decision in favor of or opposed to co-management should be respected. That said, patients must be educated that their referring doctor is trained and capable of managing routine post-operative care. When collaborative care is selected, our practice has systems in place to receive referral paperwork. Our referral form and the referring doctor's notes, recommendation, formally obtain the patient's consent and send all encounter notes to the referring doctor. We explain the process, including the division of payment for services, to the patient. Using an OD login on our website, referring optometrists can find the proper paperwork for referring a patient. Often, however, they fax their notes or call or email our office and request that their patients be scheduled for a surgical consultation. Post-operative care. 
Dr. Faulkner and I see patients on postoperative day one so that we can closely monitor surgical outcomes and quickly identify variations from expectations. We also see patients who receive premium IOLs four to six weeks after surgery for a refraction to facilitate nomogram refinement and to determine if an enhancement is warranted. In the event of a problem with surgical technique, a surgical complication, or unhappy patients, I see them as often as necessary regardless of whether they are also seeing their OD. At a typical visit one day after surgery, we reassure patients that they're doing well and tell them that the referring optometrist will assume responsibility for care. I tell patients that they are welcome to return to see me anytime and that transferring their care back to the OD does not mean that they need a referral to see me. Once I've operated on someone, I feel that they have a right to see me for a postoperative issue should they feel it's necessary. No patients have ever bypassed their ODs to see me, but knowing that I'm available can help them feel comfortable with the co-management arrangement. Reinforcement. Optometrists can be important allies for reassuring patients who have a guarded prognosis or in whom postoperative healing is prolonged, such as someone with Fuchs dystrophy whose visual recovery is delayed because of corneal edema, or someone who needs treatment for dry eye disease or an enhancement. Patients appreciate hearing the same message from someone they trust. Discussing cases with the referring doctors helps us to coordinate how we serve our patients. When patients must wait to undergo a laser enhancement, for instance, they may need temporary glasses. Many committed ODs with whom I work will change the lenses in these patients' current frames to save them money and help them through the healing period. Education. One of our primary roles in collaborative care is to educate our optometric colleagues. While at my first practice, I frequently gave talks for an optometric audience, and I engaged in countless hours of conversation over shared meals with referring optometrists. During the COVID-19 pandemic, I've sought creative ways to educate my new optometric colleagues in Hawaii. In-person continuing education events and dinners were out of the question when I first moved to the state. I worked with Dr. Faulkner and our in-house ODs to develop a virtual CE webinar series. We now deliver lectures monthly, and we have been successful in getting CE credit certification for these events. Our lecture series provides updates on technologies and techniques in ophthalmology, and it allows optometrists who might not have had a chance to engage with each other or with us to connect via Zoom. We have opened our series up to guest lecturers who are ophthalmologists from outside our practice so that we can provide a well-rounded CE webinar series across all specialties. Educational activities such as the CE series can raise awareness in the optometric community of our current treatment approaches. I find that these events allow our referring doctors to get to know what we do, how we think, what we prioritize, and how we customize treatment to each patient. We routinely ask for feedback and topic suggestions to keep the content relevant to OD's needs. Working with optometrists has been an incredibly rewarding and enriching part of my career. The professional relationships and friendships that I have developed allow me to deliver better patient care and join a community of eye care providers in Hawaii. Entrusting post-operative and routine eye care to my referring optometrists allows me to focus on doing what I love, performing surgery to correct people's vision and improve their lives. It is truly a team effort. In addition to the articles featured in this episode, we have plenty more content on the topic of building a thriving refractive cataract surgery practice in the August issue of CRST. Log on to crstoday.com now to read more. And as always, thanks for listening.